Good morning, Good News Church. How we doing? Yes, awesome. We are so excited that you're here. My name is Strider Stokes. I'm the student pastor here. And whether you're here with us in the auditorium or whether you're worshiping with us online, we are so excited that you are here this morning worshiping with us, glorifying the name of Jesus. Welcome. Hey, if you are new, in front of you in the seat backs is something called a Connect card. If you're tuning in with us online, there's also a digital version of the same thing found on goodnewsloves.com. If you're new, we would love just to know that you're here. Please write your name on it and give us as much contact information as you feel comfortable with. We just are excited that you're here. would love to welcome you. Hey, as, as always on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, uh, our small group director, Tim Pollack, who will actually be uh, giving the message this morning, uh, hosts something called uh, Discover Good News. And if you've been coming and uh, want to know more about who we are at Good News, or maybe you've heard something about small groups and want to get connected, or maybe you've been thinking about making Good News your church home, that is the next step for any of the above. Tim would love to, uh, to meet you. You can come up after the service and get connected, but uh, Discover Good News happens every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, right out there in the Connect room, which is attached to the lobby. So, hey, um, I got something to say thank you for. On behalf of the staff, the elders, everyone here at Good News Church, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for an incredible Easter this year. You prayed, you invited, you brought people here, and um, my hope is that even though I'm standing here, that collectively we get to celebrate what we saw Jesus do this Easter together. And that's this. We saw 15 adults come to faith in Christ this Easter, which is just so fun. Absolutely. That, that God would allow us to participate with him and what he's doing in the lives of people, that he would invite us to be a part of building his kingdom is just absolutely incredible. And so I just want to say, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, and most importantly, thank you, Jesus, for doing what you're doing in the lives of people. Isn't it amazing that the God we worship and serve, who rose from the dead and walked out of that tomb, that as we're celebrating that together on Easter Sunday, that we get to see the same thing happening in the lives of people. The people who are spiritually dead get to come to life on Easter Sunday. And I'll tell you what, this past Easter was one of the most joyous, fun Easters that I've ever experienced. Because if I'm honest, before this Easter, what my perception of and the things that I look forward to were, man, I hope to see smiles on my kids' faces as they open up their Easter basket. And I hope we pick somewhere fun to eat lunch and somewhere fun to eat dinner. But y'all, I tell you what, this past Easter Sunday, I woke up thinking, what is Jesus going to do? And so I'm just so thankful that we got to pull on those nets together. Most of you were here in the auditorium and you didn't get to see what was happening over in the gym a few doors down. But Tony and Tavanya and their team did an incredible job of inviting kids to walk through the life of Jesus. And because you didn't get to see it, we thought we'd put together a little video so that you could have a sneak peek of what that was all about. So check this out.
The other thing that happened over Easter is we saw six kids and students come to faith in Christ as well. Thank you to those of you who, uh, who were a part of the team that helped pull that off. And isn't it amazing that Jesus invites us when we meet him to repent and believe the good news and be saved. But his invitation to us doesn't stop there. After he invites us to believe and be saved, he invites us to come and follow him. And so on your seats, you'll find this month's study. And tomorrow, we're starting in on John chapter 1. And so if you're a person who came to faith in Christ last week, we want to invite you to come and follow Jesus. This is an incredibly helpful tool to do that. It'll walk you through and kind of give you some space to jot some notes and some thoughts and maybe even write out a prayer. But next, or, uh, excuse me, tomorrow... We'll, uh, we'll jump in together with John 1. One more announcement. At Good News, we love to celebrate our small group leaders, not only in, uh, in ministry, but in life and in vocation. And um, I don't know if you know this or not, but this year was a historic season for Flagler College basketball. Uh, Chad Warner is one of our small group leaders here, and he is the, uh, the head coach for Flagler. He is uh, assisted by Kip Owen and Blake Selland, and they're here as well this morning. And um, almost every game Flagler played, uh, played this year made history. They were the uh, Peach Belt tournament champions, both regular season and tournament uh, champions for the first time ever. This included a, a run to the Division II Final Four in Evansville, Indiana. And uh, we're just so excited that you... Uh, you enjoyed all the success that you did. But one of the things that I love and appreciate about this coaching staff is that they want their team and the time that they spend together to glorify and serve Jesus. And so we're just incredibly excited for you and just wanted to celebrate with you this morning. So if you see Chad and Blake and, and Kip, their pictures are up here, and here's the Warner family as well. Make sure that you congratulate them. And, uh, and as Tim Pollock uh, comes to speak this morning, let me pray for us, and we'll continue to worship Jesus together. Jesus, thank you for just an incredible uh, Easter week. 
Thank you for what you did on uh, our Good Friday service. Thank you for the people who prayed for 36 hours. Thank you for all the people that you brought here for Easter Sunday. And thank you, Jesus, that you, uh, you are bringing about new life. Uh, Jesus, we pray uh, this morning for Tim, that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit and that you would allow us to walk out of here thankful for everything that you do in our lives, both the difficult things and the joyous things, because all of that serves a purpose, not only in our lives, but for the glory of you and for the benefit of others. And so we pray that we would walk out of here rejoicing in you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, Strider. Hey, good morning. morning. Lots to celebrate today, huh? Okay, just me. All right. Thought there was a lot going on this morning. Hey, uh, Chad, Kip, and Blake, I was going to give you guys a standing ovation, uh, but we went right into the message. So I, I did give you a standing ovation in my heart. Um, hey, as Strider said, my name is Tim Pollock. I'm the small group director here at Good News. And uh, today's passage, which is Exodus 13, it, it reflects the importance that Good News places on biblical community. So I'm really excited. Uh, to walk you through some of the things that I've learned about this really important text. Uh, It has valuable implications for individual believers, uh, but it's yet another reminder that the Christian faith is not a lone ranger sport. Uh, Throughout the Bible, we are called to live in community. Um, We're urged to pray collective prayers. We're compared to parts of the human body which all serve together in distinct and practical ways. And so if you are new or visiting, last year we went through the book of Genesis, and this year we've been working our way through uh, the first half of Exodus, and our Old Testament journey ends next week uh, with Exodus 14 before we jump in uh, to the New Testament. And so as Strider just mentioned, last Sunday for Easter, uh, we looked at two really important questions. What is the free gift of heaven, and how do we get it? And then two weeks ago, we looked at Exodus 12, which is the beginning of the actual Exodus from Egypt, which takes three chapters to unfold. You might also recall that Exodus 12 was particularly bloody, which has been a recurring theme throughout all of Exodus, and the Bible for that matter. Chapter 12 is the story of Passover, when the Lord took the firstborn of each home other than those whose doorposts had blood over them. And that begged the question for each one of us, is the blood of Christ over the doorpost of your heart? And if so, today's message is for you. And if not, today's message is for you. So here's where we're going this morning. Uh, Today's point is that God's grace is enough. For God's loving hand is all over this text. Written by Moses, Exodus is the second book of the Pentateuch, which is the opening five-book section of the Old Testament. And most scholars attribute authorship to Moses for nearly all of the Pentateuch. Now, because the Bible is organized more by genre than chronology, the Pentateuch reads more like Star Wars than a standalone movie. I'm not a big enough Star Wars fan to go any deeper with that analogy, other than I know there's like 900 movies and some go in normal order and some go in backwards order and like nobody's ever actually dead. 
Um, that's all I know. All that said, Exodus 13 is an amazing text. I'm excited to be here sharing it with you. So as we go through each chapter, I've got five C's for you to remember. And I'm going to divide the text into five parts. Each part will get a corresponding C word, as you can see on the screen. Bonus points if you write them all down and share them at small group, by the way. So my hope is that as we read this story, that we identify with the Israelites. So it's not just that they are consecrated, it's that we are also consecrated. That we are called to remembrance just as much as they are, and that we are created for community, compelled by the Holy Spirit, and covered by God's grace. So let's jump in. You can turn in your Bibles to Exodus 13, or you can follow along on the screen. Verses 1 and 2 read, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. So I want to start by defining what it means to be consecrated. Consecration is taking what is ordinary and setting it aside for holy purposes. So if we are consecrated, that means we are declared sacred by God. And the Bible has a lot to say about being set apart. And probably the most familiar scripture is in 1 Peter, a text that we will be walking through in the second half of this year. Chapter 2, verse 9 reads, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And then as Kim read earlier this morning, Jeremiah 24 says this, I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. So not only are we set apart, but we're set apart for God as his people. The Lord said, consecrate to me. The first offspring belongs to me. So everything is his. Before the fall and before sin nature took over, we were all created in God's beautiful image. So yes, we identify as sinners saved by grace, but first as beings created in the image of a majestic creator. And back in December, if you were here, I shared the, the Psalm 8 majestic sandwich poem, which details how each and every child of God is majestically designed. And it has since become somewhat of a family joke in my house. And every time I let my flesh take over, usually when I'm driving and I say something like, look, look at this clown, someone chimes in from the back seat and says, hey, he's majestic too, Dad. And it's true. Every child of God is majestic. But look how 1 Corinthians 6.11 puts it. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. How good is that? That is stank face good, right? That is lead guitarist is feeling the music face good. Yes, that was for you, Jason Hamilton. We continue in verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, 
because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time, year after year. Okay, so I'm not a baker. I've never dabbled in bread making. So even though I Googled it and I asked my wife, I do want to make sure we're all on the same page. So I am going to ask for some audience participation for this. What makes dough rise? Yeast. Good. We're all on the same page then. So, so in this text, there's bread without yeast in verse 6. So that means that it's going to look different. And I don't want to offend people who perhaps prefer flatbread, but, it, but it's going to taste different too, and probably not in a good way. And I've found that, that a good way to test if food tastes good is to ask children. Because let's be honest, kids from toddlers to teenagers, they will notice if you switch out a delicious tasting food for an inferior tasting food. And it appears that the Israelite children had a few questions about this unleavened, seemingly flat bread. And so we see this in verse 14, where it says, in days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? All right, so he's looking at the table saying, what does this mean? Now, I'm taking some creative liberties with the text in the PowerPoint slide, but, but a modern day translation would look like this. Your poor child who does all the dishes and laundry, I'm just kidding. This poor kid sitting at your dinner table on a Sunday night, waiting for his weekly fried chicken meal from Publix, including those delicious Hawaiian sweet rolls. But at the last minute, you switch out those buttery slices of heaven for like nine grain bread. <laughs> like a big wad of flavorless bubble gum with bird seed in it. Like a giant bowl of grape nuts with no milk. So again, I know I'm asking for it from all the organic bread people in here. I just, I believe you that your bread is good. I just don't want to eat it. I'm with the Israelite kids on this one. I'm going with the sweet rolls. But the point is this. The meals that they are eating are markedly different. And they're markedly different for a seven-day period. So why? Why is God so concerned with this yeast? So we pick up in verse 14. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb 
and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it, will, and it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And so the Israelites are being called to remembrance. To remember not only what God did for them, but how he did it for them. And to remember the speed at which God delivered them. God did not wait for this bread to finish. So going back to chapter 12, God grabbed them in the middle of the night and said, y'all got to get up and go, although he didn't say it like that. So he got the kids in the car at 3 a.m. and took off for vacation. And when God says, pack your bags and go, because the murderous Pharaoh is coming after you, you don't tell him, hold on, sir, these, these rolls are almost finished. You go. And this is why I love the church calendar so much. The Bible is full of fasts, festivals, and feasts. And these rhythms help us remember God's faithfulness to us and unfaithful people. So a look back at the last month in our own church body shows this. We, we just finished Lent, which is a 40-day period that typically involves some sort of fasting. And in that window of 40 days, we shared the Lord's Supper, which is a reminder both of Christ's words and community, as it's a family meal. We ate a Palm Sunday lunch together, and on Sunday, we munched on donuts, and the kids slurped Kona ice and ruined the family pictures because it was dripping all over their shirts. And that doesn't even account for small groups that met throughout the week, the dinners that were shared, play dates, Bible studies, and barbecues. Intentional remembrance gives way to authentic praise, praise that is often found only in community, which takes us to verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Okay, so lots to focus on in that brief section. The main thing that I want to pull out of these two verses is that we were created for community. If you were being chased by a prideful and volatile pharaoh, who has shown no hesitation to murder innocent people, wouldn't you want to make your escape with others alongside you? Do you want to go into battle alone or with an army? The reality is we need community just as badly as the Israelites because our enemy knows when to attack. And for most of us in the room, it's during times of isolation. So let's revisit verse 18. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. So God takes them the long way, so to speak. The Israelites were in Egypt for over 400 years. Then God calls them out in the middle of the night. And then on the way out, he stretches out their trip. And then next week, the plot thickens even more. So make sure you come back. So if you were to map out their trip in their timeline, it would look ridiculous. Google Maps would laugh at you. 
but God's grace is behind each and every move. And so one of the advantages of speaking only on an occasional basis is I get time to really sit in a text and go over the chapter several times. And so as I looked at Exodus and continued to think about it, I was continually reminded of my friends Dana and Woody Bohr, whose family is up on the screen. In the 9 a.m. minutes, nobody gave oohs and ahs, and I can't believe it. I don't know why. Thank you. So the Boers and I are in small group together, and so we've gotten to know them pretty well, and how so much of their story parallels the story of Exodus 13. And rather than keep their story to myself, I thought I would let you guys hear it for yourselves. And so we have a video queued up that I think is going to absolutely bless this entire room. We're the Boars. I'm Dana. And I'm Woody. We have five kids. Um, Arden is 15, Esther is 13, Chloe's 11, Adam is 8, and Hank is almost 9 months old. Thanks for saving me on that one. <laughs> um, we've been married almost 19 years. We've been here since 2007 and moved here to help plant a church and a job brought us to the area. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanite, the land he swore your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. We've been in a small group and hosting small group since we started coming to the church. That was one of the biggest things that attracted us to the, the community of Good News was the small groups and being able to get with people to pray and share life's burdens and trials with uh, and joys. Um, the fall of 19, I had some health issues and then totally unrelated, ended up finding out we were expecting. Um, so yes, we've had nine pregnancies and um, obviously we don't have nine kids in our home for our with Jesus. We believe that they're there. Basically all of our odd pregnancies up until Hank um, and miscarried. So they were all really hard, um, all really difficult in different ways. And something that we talk about how God used those as hard as they were um, for good. When we got pregnant with Hank, the ninth pregnancy, um, 
the kids knew about the other ones, and so honestly, I expected that we would would lose the baby. Just it's our like a pattern. Prayed through everything. We were really honest with the kids. Um, we couldn't hide it from them because I was so sick, and so but we prayed um, together as a family and just trusted God that no matter what happened, um, you know that His will be done. And then we lost a friend. Um, two years will be April. Oh, this month, April um, 29th, um, will be two years that we lost a dear friend, um, and she was giving birth to a son. And so it was really hard for our kids knowing, um, especially when we found out we were having another boy, um, you know, they were afraid to lose me. So, um, but we prayed that God would break the pattern um, of miscarriages, and he did. And so we're just really grateful for that. We try not to dwell on the negative things or the the bad things that happen, uh, because we believe that all things happen come together for our good uh, because we love God and we've been called according to his purpose. And then through the course of the pandemic, we did lose uh, three family members. For me, so Woody mentioned the deaths to COVID, um, but we actually had four family members pass away in 2020 that had nothing to do with COVID. Um, Some of them, like you said, were expected, some were not. Um, the, The most recent was our 20-year-old nephew, and um, four months ago, December 4th, 2020, he was in a tragic car accident. So for us, um, the last four months have just been um, hard and difficult, um, walking through that as a family, walking through it with our kids and the loss of their cousin, and so um, just learning to live with that. Um, and it's good, we rejoice. Um, Harrison is with Jesus. He was a believer and lived an incredible life and legacy. The paper that I mentioned um, in his journal, he was studying Romans, and so Romans 12, um, he where it says, rejoice in hope, be constant in prayer, and be patient in affliction. And so, I mean, it's just perfect. So we um, we've got it up in our schoolroom, and we um, got Romans, you know, eight on our wrists and just reminding ourselves and each other and our family um, and anyone who will listen really just of the hope that we have in Jesus and because of him we'll all be together again um, and you know without Jesus we, yeah, we wouldn't have any hope. Uh, it's exhausting going through high and lows and uh, it makes you consider, is it worth saying that I don't like the way that you put those things in the dishwasher? Or should you just wait until they're gone and switch them yourself? (laughs) So I think it's brought patience. How has Hank changed your lives? (laughs) That poor kid is going to have so much counseling. (laughs) He's, every afternoon when I come home, he, he can't get to me yet, but he's excited to see me. As soon as his eyes lay on me, and uh, so he's been a huge help. And the family, with the loss within the family, he's been—he's who everybody's family wants to see too when they come to visit. So with the passing of Harrison, and then the, the new life, his life beginning so shortly before that has been a—they'll have a strong connection, whether they realize it or not. 
So we knew, you know, we couldn't understand. All right, God, what are you doing? I was 42 um, when I had him, you know, 43. And so the kids like to remind me how old I'm going to be, you know, when he graduates from high school and stuff, um, which is kind of scary, but he's, he's going to keep me young. Um, but he really is just, you can't help, like what he said, like, I cry a lot, or have cried a lot the last four months. And you look at him and he just makes you smile. So it's, it's, he's a really amazing gift from God. Um, we memorize scripture. We try to memorize different scriptures together. And we, we feel like it's really important just to remind them, remind our whole family of where we were, what God has brought us through, and um, that he is faithful and he, we can trust him. And no matter what we're going through and no matter what we're going to go through in the future, he's there. And so we just, we take time to um, go around, you know, we go around the table and talk about what we're thankful for, but we remember. Gratitude game. Yeah, gratitude <laughs> But reminding, reminding them, reminding each other, like, hey, God brought us through this. And we're on the other side of it now, and we can trust him to do it again and again for us. Um, it might not look like we want it to, but um, but he's still good, and we can trust him. What a what a beautiful story, right? Um, hey, what the, the Boers did was, was really hard to, to open themselves up, uh, you know, to such intimate questions and things. And so, um, you know, the last thing you want to do is be the person to ugly cry on video. And so they're trying to game face it. And I felt terrible because I'm asking them questions and I'm just like weeping through their answers and they're trying to keep it together. And so uh, the Bore family is in the back. And I just want to say thank you guys for doing this because this really did bless a lot of people and will continue to bless a lot of people. So, so God has certainly taken the, the Boer family the long way, right? And rather than hiding from it or rejecting God's plan, they have chosen to lean into it. And God's not finished redeeming their story. And so if God is taking you the long way right now, I pray that their story encourages you to hold fast. I encourage you to lean into today's action step which is to remember and rest in God's grace. To remember what God has brought you out of and what he will bring you through. I love what it says in Lamentations 3, which is basically a poem about God's grace. It says this, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them when my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. So God doesn't negate our pain. God doesn't say to hide from it. He says, I am never leaving you. And if you are patient in affliction and you're faithful in prayer, 
You can be joyful in the hope that is Jesus Christ. I hate that I'm a crier, man. <laughs> Exodus 13 tells us time and time again, because of God's powerful hand, we can be rescued. So it's not on our own accord. The solution has to come from God and God alone. And we do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we pick up in verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph, Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. And so our fourth C is that we are compelled by the Holy Spirit. So wouldn't a, wouldn't a pillar of fire be nice, right? Like, like a Christian magic eight ball. So you ask it a question and you see where the fire takes you. Like, where do we go for dinner tonight? Which would solve like every marriage issue in the world, right? Where can I find an honest mechanic? And then like the fire shows up. What is wrong with my teenager? Although it probably wouldn't work like that. So the pillar was not symbolism, but a real phenomenon. We have no way of knowing how God made this pillar, but it was obviously a miraculous event that God used to lead them for their 40 years in the wilderness. And despite their grumbling, you have to assume that a literal trailblazing pillar had to produce comfort. A comfort that God will surely come to their aid, as it says in verse 19. How fortunate are we, though, to have the Holy Spirit? A counselor and an advocate, the Holy Spirit guides us and intercedes for us. As it says in Romans 8, 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And secondly, we get a symbolic version of this pillar in the Word of God, the Bible. We sometimes treat the Bible like a cadaver when it's actually alive and active, as it says in Hebrews 12. We look at the Bible sometimes like it's a GPS, when really it's the destination. The Bible is not an instruction manual. It's the story of a promise-keeping God who has come to seek and save the lost. The Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive. And further, the gospel is not good advice. It's good news. News that we are responsible for consuming and then sharing. And this leads us to the last verse, which is verse 22. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And so the last C is that you are covered. If you are a professing Christian, you are covered by the blood of Christ, which is over the doorpost of your heart. And if you aren't a Christian, and if you've never put your faith in Christ, 
My encouragement is for you to do that today. Because the pillar of fire is in our midst. The pillar of fire is Jesus, and he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Back in Exodus 3, when Moses is questioning God about whether he is the right man for the job God has asked him to do, Moses says, but who do I tell the people you are? And it's at that moment that God proclaims, I am who I am. And this is a pivotal moment in redemptive history. Because God has revealed himself to his people and comes to redeem them out of exile and into a new life. God's name discloses who he is and what he is like. He is the I am, the eternal, unchanging one, infinite and glorious in every way, and above and beyond all created things. And yet it somehow gets even better. Because then Jesus, as God incarnate, applies the title, I am, to himself. In the book of John, Jesus extends the Father's I am declaration and draws them out into seven I am statements. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd, and I am the true vine. If you're looking for a pillar of fire, look no further than Jesus, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And by following him, we are redeemed from our own exile and ushered into new life as a new creation. As we sang earlier, Moses and his people were bound for the promised land, a place of refuge and freedom. The land of Canaan was flowing with milk and honey, but the land, nor the people, were perfect. The promised land was good, but it was not paradise. Jesus, however, does offer paradise by way of eternal life with him. And if you know him, you are covered. And if you are covered, then you are bound for the promised land. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and be renewed by your overwhelming grace. Lord, that we feel and know that your grace is enough. I pray that each one of us stops to remember what you have done and what you will do for us. Jesus, that by your blood we are covered, that we are set apart, and that we learn to celebrate that within our families and within our communities. And it's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen. Amen. Stand and sing with us.